Well, I want to say a few words about today's special guest preacher. The Reverend Dr. Mike Slaughter is in the house. And I know a lot of us, we have some deep Methodist roots. So if you're a part of the Methodist church, you're probably familiar with him. There's so much I could tell you about this guy. I could tell you about the, the influence he's had uh, in this Methodist church movement all over the globe. I could tell you about the humanitarian work that he's helped to pioneer in South Sudan, the thousands of people who are literally alive and well today because of the work that God has done through him over there. I could tell you about all the stuff he's done for the recovery community. I know we have a lot of folks from the recovery community here at the church. We're proud of that. And he's been uh, such a pioneer in, um, in ministry for folks uh, who are on the road to, to sobriety. I could tell you about the thousands and thousands of people that he has helped find, help them find their God call, the God dream uh, for their life. But I, I want to tell you something else about him. I can say uh, with 100% certainty that no other church leader has shaped me or influenced me more than Mike Slaughter. I mean, he, uh, he's shown me not only what it means to be a pastor, but what it, what it means to follow Jesus. And, you know, in this place, we're honest about our disappointment with the church, right? We've been honest about that. But he's one of the good guys. You know, he's one of the guys that, that helps me understand that it's still worth it. The church still has a role in the world. God hasn't given up on us, and it's really been an inspiration for me uh, to really stay the course. So I can't wait to, for y'all to hear uh, what God has to say through him. Mike, you want to come up, and I'd love to pray for you. Um, everybody say hi to Mike. Yeah. <laughs> Told him he didn't have to have a filter this morning, so we'll see how this goes. But can I pray for you? Yes. Yes? God, I want to thank you so much. For this man right here. And I pray, Lord, that, uh, that he feels your presence, not only today, but even um, as he leaves. I pray that, Lord, you just uh, you remind him, you show him of all the amazing work that he's done for your kingdom, that he can see it. I also want to pray for his grandbabies back home, Lord, for their health. We know that they're uh, uh, covering from pneumonia right now, Lord, and we just ask that you, uh, you just put your healing touch on them and that you uh, make everything right there. We thank you so much for this time we have together. Speak to us, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Go get them. Well, it is good to be here. It's strange for me to hear all those positive things Nate said. It's amazing. And I want to say this to teenagers in, in the room. I was uh, one of those kids that wasn't good in sports or anything, kind of the quiet, back row my junior year I finished the last quarter of my junior year in high school with four F's and a D minus um, <laughs> so I, back in the day when I was a teenager I'm now in my eighth decade of life in my 70s how quickly age comes isn't that true any of you older people um, I tell you and uh, at 68 I ran this and I was a teenager myself uh, this teen club called Lost Dimension. And I knew every, I mean, if you remember back then, junior high dance, everywhere had a live band, not DJs kind of. And so we had one of those uh, garage bands. And um, so we got busted for selling beer at our club to minors as a minor. And they opened up um, mayor's court for me on a Sunday afternoon. We were going to, then as we got better, we were going to open for Steppenwolf. Most of you have not heard of Steppenwolf. How many have? 
Look, look at the teenagers. But they did songs like, Born to be wild. Remember all that kind of stuff? Two weeks before we were going to open the Cincinnati Gardens with Steppenwolf, two of our members got busted with drugs. So that was the end of that. Then I met Jesus. Now, the last thing I would ever choose in the world, you know, church was boring. I had no place, you know, for church. And then through the Jesus movement, it was an incredible thing. And God called me to be a pastor. Last thing I would figure. So when we began to see, we came to this little country church called Gingersburg. And after I'd been a youth pastor in two Cincinnati churches, you know, and I t- tell you what this place is like. Um, I was up in that church. It was my third church for over 38 years. Um, I was a local church pastor for 45 years. Now I'm in my sixth year of this LLC called Passionate Churches uh, LLC. And we came to this tiny church, country church building, that was built in 1876. And we had under 100 people with an annual total budget of 27000 dollars um you know and i knew a mentor told me if you do what you were doing with kids in cincinnati you know as a youth pastor this will become a model to methodism uh this mentor said so i believed him and through the years it was amazing uh where's nate gibson are you in here nate so what was our attendance kind of when you left what'd you say 4,000 attendants. How many staff? 115 staff. And, and what was our budget? Ten, from 27,000. So I would say as we would see God working and bringing incredible people like Nate, Nick. Um, Nick's last year there, he preached 22 weekends. I did 26 weekends. You know, and I would say to Carolyn, isn't this amazing? And she always, Lindsay kept my feet on the ground. She would say, uh, in the Old Testament, there was a Balaam's donkey. You know, but I like the King James version of that one. So King James said, Balaam's ass. (laughs) It's Bible. so, uh, (laughs) So she would always say, she would always say to me, If God can speak through Balaam's ass. (laughs) And and, and that's why I remind teenagers, God has created you for a great purpose. No matter how bad things were, God can make all things new. And that's what we need to remember. Well, I I love this series you're you're doing on, on relationships. So if you have your Bibles... Will you turn to Mark, the ninth chapter? Mark, the ninth chapter. Ninth chapter of Mark. I'm going to start in the 14th verse. Ninth chapter of Mark. Ninth chapter. Now, Jesus just had this, what I call transcendental kind of experience on this mountain with three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, where they had this incredible uh, vision, and I don't think it was due to Ellis, 
D or any of those kind of thing. This was different from the old kind of visions I used to have. <laughs> so, so they come down from the mountain and they see their other disciples. And I'm going to pick that up in the 14th verse. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. Now, the teachers of the law were the orthodox of the time who followed Scripture to the letter. So that, that's important because the new Pharisees today are the church. So think of it that way. Here, here I am, 71, and I'm a cynic about institutional church and what I see today. So they see the teachers of the law arguing with them. Now, you gotta, it takes two to argue. Like you can come at me with an argument, but to argue back doesn't usually work. Have any of you discovered that? Thanksgiving dinners with family members and so forth. No. So I can respond in a different way. Hey, thank you for your, your thoughts. You know, God's blessing on your life. So it always takes two parties to argue. I don't have to argue back. As soon as the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. But look at what he says to his disciples. What are you arguing with them about? Everything with God is about relationships. What are you arguing with them about? Now, that is such a pertinent question for today. You know, look at where our nation is. I'm 71 years old, and I have never seen this kind of political divide. I mean, I was part of the civil rights movement and everything else, but we found more unity in the church around those issues. And now the church is reflecting the politics of our country instead of demonstrating the politic of the kingdom of God people. See, everything with God is about relationships. And God holds the priority and health of our relationships above our partisan politics or doctrinal differences. Everything is about relationships with God. What did it, when, when they came to Jesus and they said, now remember, Jesus is who we follow. His lifestyle is what we're committed to. Eighty-seven times in the New Testament, Jesus said, follow me. Two times, he said, believe in me. And no time did he say, worship me. So what have we turned Christianity into? Singing songs to something Jesus never asked us to do. Professions of faith without the practice of faith, sisters and brothers. 87 times Jesus said, follow me. That's hard. I've been on this journey for a lot of years. To sacrificially give. I hear, uh, you know, about the building thing. And I, I say this not out of pride, but of faith. Nick, when we built the big main campus, 138 acres, 134 acres, my salary was 38000 a year. 
Carolyn and I pledged 50000 over the next three years by faith. It's the hard thing is what does it mean when Jesus said, sell your possessions, give to the poor. You know, I'm going, this is a hard journey. Right now, one of the things Carolyn and I are committed to um, is send first-generation college kids to get out of poverty to college. And we're paying full tuition at the University of Cincinnati for one young, young, young uh, woman this year. And I do that. So they come to Jesus and said, what's the most important commandment? And he didn't say stuff like, you know, be Republican or be Democrat or don't be gay or none of that. Did Jesus say that the church is so focused on? He said, what? You know, the greatest commandment, he quoted two parts of the Old Testament, to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your... Yep. And then he did something. He made the two singular. He said, there is no commandment greater than these. Now, there's only one... What's Look at the influence of Jesus on the world. Uh... I, I, I can't imagine that our t- history of time is based on Jesus. You know, even if you didn't believe that he was the son of God and only a great uh, reformed rabbi or teacher, our whole calendar, calendar system now, I know what we're doing in school, we're, we're talk, calling it now, what, current era, era, and what is it? But it's divided by A.D., right, or B.C. and A.D., which is Latin for the year of our Lord. It's the calendar system around the world, sisters and brothers. So with that kind of influence, he only gave one new command. Isn't that amazing? I mean, look at the millions of people around the world who claim some connection to Jesus. And this was his new command. A new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you. That's sacrificial. Love one another as I have loved you. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Not by your politic. You know, so much of how we interpret the Bible today is through our cultural lens. That's how people supported slavery, right? Do you know the Bible says, and you've, you've probably taught this before, that the Bible says if a man gets married and on the night of his marriage is not convinced that his wife was a virgin, she should be taken to the door of her father's house and stoned. Man, that's Taliban, but that's in the Bible. Jesus corrects things. Jesus said you heard you're supposed to love your neighbor and, and hate your enemy, but I say love your enemy because the sun rises on the good and bad. And here, here's what I want you to really get. Somehow today in the church, the Trinity has become God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Bible. The Bible says, the Bible says, what does Jesus say? You know, Jesus said, hey, the world will no longer see me, but you'll see me and know me because the Spirit will dwell in you, and not only will the Spirit remind you of things I taught you, it will reveal things today. When we make the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, 
We make God, who's infinite, too small, contained in 1,782 pages of my Bible, sisters and brothers. That's why I love your leadership here, what you're doing. This is the place we can ask, ask questions and see where the living Christ is leading us today. All one things we got to do, one thing. Love as Jesus loves us, that's it. Look at all the distraction we have gotten into. Folk, we're not here to represent the red kingdom or the blue kingdom. We're here to have the mind of Christ. You know, one of the things I love, uh, one of my great friends, Bill McGraw, who was part with me at Gainesburg for 38 years, he said, Mike, one thing I'm really thankful for is no one ever knows who you vote for. I vote for Jesus. My biggest challenge is to love other people as Jesus loves us, as Jesus loves me. See, the work of the cross is God's work of reconciliation. You know, Jesus came to tear down the walls that stand between us, the barriers. There's neither male nor female, Jew or Gentile, slave or free, gay or straight. We are all one in the Lord Jesus Christ. In 2009, I was privileged uh, under, uh, she was then Secretary of State Hillary Clinton, to be part of peace talks in uh, Israel. And it was my third trip to Israel. And uh, so they had Amon, a rabbi, me, uh, a Protestant, you know, pastor, sit with their equivalent secretary of state and so forth and talk about some kind of way we can bring peace between the Palestinians and, and the Jews. And what amazed me is they had built a wall surrounding Bethlehem with guard towers and everything else. They've made it. Now, uh, Bethlehem is Palestinian. So they, who was born in Bethlehem? One somebody? The birthplace of the Savior who came to tear down walls. Am I right? Love others as I have loved you, which means you've got to be willing to give your life for it. Oh, by the way, the, the Bible also says you shouldn't mark yourself with a tattoo. But it also says God has you tattooed to the palm of his hand. So, see, it, it kind of goes both, both and. So, uh, now they're saying, so let's say you're a teacher in Bethlehem, and you taught in Jerusalem. You can no longer teach in Jerusalem. You can do anything. Here's how it's a ghetto. You can do anything within the walls with your own people, but it has constrained them. Uh, to this ghetto. They also, uh, and my wife takes teams of people where they go and harvest olives with the Palestinians because Israel's working under this law that if the settlers can keep their people, uh, Palestinians, off their farmland for three years, they can claim it. So what happens is Carolyn's out there with all these mostly women from United States picking these things with the Palestinian farmers, olives. And so when the settlers drive up to harass them and they see Americans, who do they need? 
America, they drive away to, to keep, keep it going. Love others as I have loved you. Who's others? Even my enemy. Right? Um, one of my grandkids said, oh, the Russians are bad. I said, the Russians aren't bad. Their leader is bad. Right? For God is a God of all people. Now, I want to see this here. So here's that, that question. What are you arguing with them about? How important is that with our relationships? But I want you to see this in the context of the, the whole chapter. Uh, go back to um, verse 7 of, of chapter 9. So this is before they come down, and it says, Then this cloud appeared and covered them. This is Peter, James, and John, and Jesus. And a voice came from the cloud, This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. An experience I had as a kid, you know, this, I have a lot of questions, you know. Nick and I were asking each other a lot of, you know, questions about what's mystery and what we don't know. He said, do you believe in life after death? I said, I hope. Does that make sense? I hope. I don't know what that means, but I hope. And I said, Nick, I'm working right now on uh, a devotional called Heaven Now, Living in the Holy Present. We better realize we're living in heaven right now, folks. The gift of this life, we, we're worshiping God, and I look out at the beautiful trees flying into Atlanta yesterday, seeing the color changes, you know, across, you know, Heaven Now, Living in the Holy Present. You know, uh, some of the teenagers here are saying, I can't wait till I'm legal and I'm 21. It goes so fast, you'll be 71. <laughs> so uh, I had this experience as a child where I was laying in my bed. This is a true experience. And Jesus, the form of Jesus, which you could tell it was a form of Jesus, but you couldn't make out any characteristic skin color, any of that kind of stuff. By the way, Jesus wasn't white. We got in trouble for me saying that in Gingsburg, didn't we? <laughs> so um, I pulled the sheet or blanket over my head, but it was still this brilliant kind of image. And I think sometimes, I can't understand it, it's mystery. I don't know what that was, but I think it was a sign of what would happen in my life years later. So they have this similar experience. So this cloud appears, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. So this kind of raises the second question. The first, first question, what are you arguing with them about? And the second, who are you listening to? Now, now, get this. A recent uh, Pew Research report said, I, this is unbelievable. Two-thirds of Americans are getting their news from social media. Two-thirds of America. Guess what the number one, for two-thirds of America, what's the number one source? Not, not, what? It is. And we've just seen how Facebook has gone through a whistleblower you know, saying how they're not filtering. Uh, 
you know, a lot of, uh, of information. The set, what do you think the second is? Two-thirds of America. Facebook's number one. What? Uh, not Twitter. Twitter. The former president understood that, didn't he? Um, what's the next? So Facebook, what? YouTube. YouTube. And then the next is Snapchat. Yeah, I, this, I mean, this blew me away. Now, part of it's my age because in the last 30-plus years, there has been a great shift to partisan news sources. Now, I don't know if there's, is anybody in here remember Walter Cronkite? Oh, man, that's better than I thought. You, you don't, right? Now we, we, we know nobody knew his politic until he retired, and then then he was uh, spoken. But he used to say this: "Here's what happened in the news today: 58 American soldiers died in Vietnam. Um, there was a fire in Las Vegas. Um, so and so are running against each other in the prime." All we got was information. Now there has been this shift from informing to influencing. Who are you listening to? From informing to influence. So we're letting others interpret the signs of the time for us. We're letting others determine how we vote, what we believe, how to think. Who are you listening to? Now, go back. I want to stay, I, this whole thing is in the context of the gospel of, of, of Mark, staying in the context. I want to go back to the fourth chapter where Jesus tells this parable of seed, a farmer sows seed, and it's planted in four types of soils. Now, anybody that messes, anybody like garden stuff or landscaping or anything in the room, you know, I have these rhododendrons in my yard, and they're just not working with the soil I have. Now, I really like this, you know, landscaping stuff. So everything depends on the receptive nature of soil. Seeds, all the same, same quality. Now, in the 24th verse, Jesus said, in the context of this par parable, consider carefully what you hear. Who are you listening to? I'll drive my wife nuts. I'll watch Fox News for 10 minutes and then CNN for 10 minutes. It's entertaining. <laughs> I'll go Fox. Because so many people just go to one or the other, and they let that become the hermeneutic. That means the interpretation. Hermeneutic is that word we learn in seminary. Of, of how they see scripture or faith. So it can consider carefully what you hear. Who are you listening to? Now, what that means in, in the 20th verse, he said others, now only one of four soils are receptive. I used to think of this, Lindsay and Nick, at Gingsburg, when um, I would look and we would have 4,000 people. You were there at Easter, uh, Nate, you too, University of Dayton Arena, and we had 7,200 people for Easter morning, 
And I, th- I thought 7,200 people, only one-fourth of these folks, will this seed take root? I, th- I look at this today, and I, I think, oh, my God, let it be more than one-fourth that this seed takes root. And this is what he said. Others like seed sown on good soil, they hear the word, they accept it, and produce a crop some 30, some 60 Some a hundred times what was sown. Who are you listening to? Fox, CNN, or the Word of God? Or the Word of God? Now, uh, what goes in here is ingested here in the heart. And it's projected here out of the mouth. But the thing that comes, and this is word, but the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. So this kind of raises a third question. The first is, what are you arguing with them about? Second is, who are you listening to? The third is, what are your words revealing about your heart? Oh, my gosh. You know, sometimes I, I, I want to say, well, that, that person is a A.H., Nick warned me to be careful, so I'm being, was that acceptable? Okay. <laughs> um, and no, that person bears the image of God. I, you know, I'm learning to see the image of God in every single person. Or sometimes, haven't you thought, um, that person is not very attractive, and I, I'm, I, I'm learning to sit at the airport or anywhere else and go, no, I'm looking. And I say to myself, I'm looking at God. You know, I'm, I'm looking at, at God. I'm even getting better with people's pets. <laughs> Haven't you seen on Facebook some of the ugliest dogs? <laughs> I mean, but these people, like, love them. So I'm looking at pets. See, I'm still growing in this thing takes a long time. And I'm, I'm going, this is a creature of God. You know, this, this is a creature of God. So what are your words revealing about your heart? The words that you speak, text, tweet. Don't you, I hate it when on Facebook where I people pastor for like 20-some, 30 years, and I see these ugly Facebook posts. And I went, oh, my God, did I waste my life? You know, oh, my God. Words have power. The the, uh, Bible says the tongue has the power of life and death to bring unity or division. That's why uh, it says in in, uh, the Bible, let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Why do we argue? Group participation time. Why do we argue? Yeah, hey, you know, I, you know. Um, and Jesus is on our side. And, you know, the disciples were tec- technically right but relationally wrong. And right relationship is more important than right argument. 1992, 
uh, I was part of the general conference of the United Methodist Church. This is where a thousand delegates from around the world gather to vote on what's going to be in our book of discipline. I'm glad this is not going to be a Methodist church, but it will have Wesleyan. Wesleyan Wesley believed in personal holiness and social activism, those two things uh, together. And so I was, uh, there was a person who was on the extreme left about an issue uh, of abortion that the Methodist churches stand for. And I was on uh, moderate right about the value of all human life. Um, I, I, I believe in life from womb to tomb, but you hear it's, it's more complicated. I don't know if you read about in Ohio where a 10-year-old was raped and had to go to Indiana uh, for abortion. This thing, you know, is, is more complex. So here I was, this youngster, and the guy was much more experienced who took the other position, much more known in the denomination. And uh, so we started the first weeks in legislative session, and to keep that out of the book of discipline, I won legislative se- section. I remember he came up to me and said, you young whippersnapper, I'm going to get you. At the, you know. So anyway, at, at night, we would ar- argue in, by day, and then at night we'd go have a beer, Coke, Coke together. <laughs> and what was so amazing is that lobbyists from the right would come into the a pub to want to talk to me and, and lobbyists from the left to talk to him, and they would stop, and they'd go, those two guys are laughing and talking, sharing a beer and sharing their, their relationship with Christ. You know, so many times you think somebody on the opposite side can't be a Christian and, and talked about how Jesus was changing us in, in our lives. Well, the next week it went to the whole conference floor, and I lost by 19 votes. Um, th- this was so big it made the New York Times and all these news, you know, papers. Our picture was in there and all this kind of stuff. And um, you know what? I lost the battle, but I didn't lose the relationship. And today we are brothers in Christ. I had him speak at Kingsburg uh, Church. So, folks, let's keep, as, as we think about this series on, on relationships to, to bring us back, what are you arguing with them about? Who are you listening to? And what do the words that you text, tweet, put on Facebook or whatever reveal about your heart, your true character? I, I would like to, uh, St. Francis is a, my patron saint. And uh, he died in 1226. Uh, Carolyn and I got to spend some time in Assisi, uh, St. Francis of Assisi. This is his prayer. And as I pray this, uh, let this be your prayer. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. 
Where there's darkness, light, and where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console. To be understood as to understand. To be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. And it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. We thank Mike for his time. Thank you. Thank you. Love you, man. The greatest gift uh, Mike ever gave me was showing me what a church can do when its people trade easy believism for radical discipleship. When people not only give Jesus lip service, but they actually commit to his way of life. You know, that's what we're trying to do here. That's who we're trying to be. I've never been more sure of Jesus than I am right now. I've got all sorts of frustrations with the church, but I know I still have so much faith and certainty in, in the person in the way of Jesus. And that, that's what we're trying to do here you know, at Emmaus, is to be a collective of people who, who aren't interested in just offering him a bunch of nice words, but who are committed to actually embracing his radical upside-down way of life. And so if you're here uh, and checking us out and you want to learn more about that, please reach out. Uh, stop by the Connect table on your way out if you want to get some more information. Of course, if you want to contribute to what God is doing here, uh, you can do so at the giving boxes on your way out, or you can do it by clicking that link online. But church, thank you so much for coming, and we'll see you next week. Thank you.